What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Friar Domination Podcast. I hope you guys checked out the last episode, and I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, that featured an interview with Jiho Yu, who covers the KBO, getting some more information on one of the international signings that the Padres brought in, Ha Sung Kim. I mean, some great information there, some information about him, his personality, about the KBO, about how it's different from the United States and the path. It's a really good interview. I mean, you really could get a lot of good information um, if you go check that out. That's uh, definitely on Spotify, um, so definitely go check that out and Get some more information about Hassan Kim. But uh, on today's episode, I am talking with Baseball America's Kyle Glazer. Kyle Glazer is awesome, guys. I mean, he is an encyclopedia of knowledge on the minor league systems. We are going to get into a lot of that. We're going to talk about C.J. Abrams. We're going to talk about Josh Mears. We're going to talk about a lot of different aspects of this Padres farm system. Ryan Weathers, Adrian Marajone, the list goes on and on. We have a great conversation uh, about uh, Fernando Tassis Jr.'s best tools, his favorite Mexican food spots in San Diego. So just a really fun conversation with Kyle Glazer, and you can definitely learn a lot of good stuff in that interview. That's going to come up a little bit later on in the show. I'm going to start things out with some spring training notes, some things that I've been reading and seeing from the first couple games of spring training. So I'm going to go ahead and jump into that right now. So the first thing I want to touch on as far as spring training is concerned is that the first home run for the Padres in spring training belongs to the longest tenured Padre, and that is Will Myers. Will Myers took a great swing, great approach. He kept that right center field approach where we all know when Will Myers is going at his best, he is driving the ball to the opposite field. He did that again with this home run, this first home run of spring for the Padres. It seems like he's carried carried over some good momentum from last year. You love to see that. It seems like he's still in, in good spirits and I mean, those trade rumors and those trade talks about Will Myers, it just seems like they've all but evaporated. And I think uh, now for for Will Myers to come into this season, he's relaxed, he's focused, he doesn't really have to worry too much about getting traded. So I think we're going to see a really, really good version. We might see the best version of Will Myers, especially because he doesn't have to be the guy. I mean, there's so much talent around him. Fernando Tatis Jr., obviously Manny Machado, Eric Hosmer, I mean, Tommy Pham, the list goes on and on. This is a very deep lineup, and he doesn't have to be the guy, and he's going to get opportunities because there's some big boppers around him in the lineup. So really good to see Will Myers get off to a great start. And also, uh, you know, switching gears to the pitching side, another guy that came into this spring training with some questions that he needed to answer was Chris Paddock. Last year, Chris Paddock had a little bit of a down year after coming in his rookie year and really, you know, just taking the Padres' world by storm. I mean, featured a great fastball that he could locate when he was on, a just nasty changeup that just fall, have the bottom fall, fall right out of it and make a lot of hit, hitters look really silly. And, uh, you know, a curveball that he was working on that got better um, as he kept on throwing it. But last year, it seemed like the fastball was a little bit more straight. He didn't have as much uh, of his just patented location. His command was not really there. And that's something that he was definitely going to work on going into this offseason. And at least throughout his first uh 
appearance in the Cactus League, he looked pretty strong. He came out with a couple of strikeouts, and uh, he didn't allow any runs, and that's something that you want to see out of Chris Paddock. So hopefully he takes that momentum, and that carries him all throughout spring and into the regular season. If we get a return of rookie Chris Paddock, then I think— well, let me let me take that back. Rookie Chris Paddock with no restrictions, with no cuffs, with no inning limits. Him just being able to go out there with that command, with that changeup, um, and that cutter that he's going to feature this year and just go out there and play his game and be confident and go out there and dominate. That's the Chris Paddock that I want to see. Hassan Kim through a couple of spring training games, has got his first hit in the last spring training game, and he's just been barreling the ball. I mean, it seems like every at-bat, I've been listen, listening to the games on the radio, listening to Jesse Agler and Tony Gwynn Jr., and you can hear it. You can hear the sound of the ball coming off the bat, coming off of Hassan Kim's bat, and it, it sounds nice. It sounds like he's really making good, solid contact, and yeah, he's flown out a couple of times, and the results haven't really there, but weren't really there as far as numbers are concerned, but you can't look at just the numbers. You get to look at the, the quality of contact that he's making, and some people were concerned whether he's going to be able to make the adjustment coming from the KBO where they traditionally don't throw as hard as in the major leagues, but it seems like at least through the first couple of games, he is adjusting quite nicely. Back to the pitching aspect of things, another really important name to the Padres and their success in 2021 is Denelson Lamette. And obviously, he was shut down last year going into the playoffs. And, uh, you know, whenever you have any arm issues, it's something that you really have to be concerned about. And the Padres had to be very cautious. They did that when they shut him down. Surgery was a possibility, but, you know, he decided to rehab and get platelet-rich injections into the arm to try to help it heal. And it seems like so far that has done that. He did a 15-pitch simulated game game where he jumped off the mound, was very confident, threw some fastballs, threw some change-ups. He said that was something he wanted to work on a little bit more. He didn't throw any sliders, but he has thrown sliders in some bullpens, so obviously we know that that his his out pitch, that thing is absolutely nasty. It's a big component. Uh, It's something that he threw about 54% of the time last year. I mean, I don't know if we're going to see that again this year, and we might not see Denelson Lomet immediately. It just seems like reading the tea leaves that that's a possibility that he might not be at least pitching for the Padres to start the year. And, hey, you never know. If Denelson Lomet's not out there, maybe that opens the door for Mackenzie Gore to join the starting rotation. I mean, it seems like, by all accounts, he is off to a good spring, and we should see him in Cactus League action here very, very soon. And, uh, man, I can't go on about spring training without talking about today's events where we saw some really young Padres uh, really go out there and show out. I mean, Fernando Tatis Jr., uh, the ink is probably still not dry yet on his 14-year extension, and he wasted no time introducing himself, or shall I say reintroducing himself, to the Major League landscape with uh, runners on every single bag. He goes up there and he does what Fernando Tatis Jr. does. And he launches a ball into the left field berm where the grass is. That thing was halfway up. It was absolutely murdered. If you have not heard or seen the clip, I highly recommend you go check out the Grand Slam that Fernando Tatis Jr. hit. The sound coming off of the bat, the ball hitting the bat was just incredible. It was euphoric. You know when you make that kind of contact, if you guys have ever played baseball or softball or anything like that, you know when you hit it. You know when you hear that sound 
or you just have that feeling where you just don't feel it when you make connect when you connect with the ball. It's just so effortless. That's what that swing was. I guarantee Fernando Tatis Jr. did not feel any vibration coming off of the bat on that contact. It was just so flush, so beautiful. 440 plus feet out there. I mean, just an incredible home run. I mean, it's something you come to expect from Fernando Tatis Jr. We're definitely very spoiled, but hey. We're going to be able to watch this for the next 14 years, baby, so I cannot wait. I'm so excited about that. Another really exciting young player is C.J. Abrams, and he has also been showing out in spring training. He had a triple off the wall today where it seemed like he was just gliding around the bases. He got to third base standing up. It was effortless in the swing. That was another one where... You heard that come off the bat, and you know some serious damage was coming from that swing, and it did for sure. I mean, honestly, I think he probably could have made it all the way around, but, I mean, who knows? That that, that guy is special. He's been playing some good defense. He, the offense has showed up. He has some really patient at-bats. So just a couple of notes so far from spring training, and it's been really exciting to watch. We're actually... I should say listen to because we haven't been able to watch any of them, and that's a bone I need to pick, or I have picked on social media. If you follow me on Twitter at DrotalkSD, then you know that I am not happy about the fact that they're only televising like 10 of the spring training games with a season, with a team, with an organization that is as exciting as the San Diego Padres are in 2021. For them not to be televising every single spring training game, I think is a travesty. I think it's a missed opportunity for a organization to touch base with its fan base to get them in connection with the team that they love after not being able to be in the stands all of last year. I think that this is just something that should have happened. They have other teams around the league that are doing this, so I don't understand the restrictions and the reasons why they can't get this done. I just I don't get it. This team deserves to be on TV, and we deserve to be able to watch it. But with that being said, now it is time for my interview with Baseball America's Kyle Glazer. So check it out. All right, guys. Joining me now on the Fire Domination podcast is Kyle Glazer. He is a national writer for Baseball America. He is from San Diego, so he definitely has a connection to the Padres. And uh, Kyle, just before we get started, really want to say thank you for joining me, and I can't wait to talk some ball with you. Yeah, my pleasure. It's good to be back on with you. It's been a few years, but always happy to hop on and talk Padres and talk baseball in general. I appreciate it, man. So the first question is not actually baseball related. This one's kind of more of a fun one. What is your favorite Mexican food spot in San Diego? It's tough. So keep in mind, I'm a North County guy. So a lot of the spots, you know, the South, I just just don't know them as well. So if I'm looking for fish tacos, I'm going to Cotijas Jr., if I'm going for chicken mole, which is one of my favorites, I'm going down to Casa Guadalajara in Old Town. You know, if I'm just looking for, you know, grab something, you know, sit down, you know, quick and eat, uh, Tony's Jacal in Solana Beach, that's always a favorite. So it kind of depends what I'm looking for and what I'm going for. But those are probably the main spots. And I know a lot of San Diegans are going to hear that and scream, oh, no, this place is better. And that's what I love about it. We all have our spots. We all know what we like, what we don't like. Rico's has great, you know, uh, salsas. I mean, there's all sorts of good stuff. So I kind of go different spots depending on what I'm looking for. Yeah. I mean, obviously there's so many great places around San Diego to eat. So you really can't go wrong with the Mexican food spots, but all right. Now to what actually is bringing us here to this conversation, which is the Padres and their incredible farm system. So beyond the seven guys who made it to the top 100, who do you think could be the next prospect that could join in that prestigious list 
Yeah, so there's two guys in particular I'm keeping an eye on. The first is Joshua Mears, the Padres' second rounder from a few years ago, just a big physical dude who crushes baseballs. But beyond that, I thought what was most impressive was he really made a nice adjustment in 2019 in the Arizona League. If you look at what he did over his final 28 games, hit for average, hit for power. Anytime you see a guy with that physical ability plus the ability to make adjustments, uh, just talking to some people in the organization, this kid's very, very bright. He was taking some college courses in high school. He was committed to Purdue to study engineering. And uh, for those that don't know, engineering is, you know, at Purdue is is an incredible program. So, um, you know, you take physical ability, combine it with just how smart this guy uh, is by all accounts. And that's the recipe for something special. So we need to see what he does now in full season ball. He broke his hammock last year, working out at home in the off season. And sometimes those injuries can drain someone's power. And given that's his calling card, we kind of have to see how he looks this year over a full season, but that's the position player in the system. I'm looking at as the guy who I think has the potential to be top 100 a few years from now. There's a couple of pitchers, Brian Medina, a Venezuelan teenager was a big international signee shows a lot of promising ingredients at a very young age, fastball velocity, good spin characteristics, the breaking ball, still very young, still a little wild, still learning his delivery. But if you're just looking for some of the ingredients you want to see from a kid at 18, 19, they're there. Uh, Jagger Haynes, a lefty. He was their fifth round pick last year. A lot of people like him a lot. He was the youngest pitcher selected in the draft. He was 17 still on draft day. It's a very long projection. This is going to be a five, six year development type of situation. But again, good, young, athletic lefty pitches with a little bit of an edge to him has the makings of three pitches. So those are all promising things to see. Um, I think those would be the main guys, but you also have a guy like Justin Lang who throws really, really hard and kind of a raw ball of clay, but if you can get some things to click there, maybe he becomes a premium flamethrower type. I think the hope is he can become kind of like what Michael Kopech has become. Now, Kopech obviously hasn't established himself in the major leagues yet, but take a you know big Texas kid who throws really hard and eventually he figures out control and secondaries, but it still has taken a while. So I think those are the main candidates and some of these new international signees they signed at this international period as well as last international period have some potential as well and we still have to see them come over so there's still some high upside guys in the system to be sure beyond the top seven yeah definitely i mean an incredible system super deep i mean even after all the trades it's incredible how they've layered this system i mean it really has been something to watch over the last couple of years but a lot of questions have come in on a couple of young lefty pitchers that are right on the cusp of making the big league team or already contributing like Adrian Marajone and Ryan Weathers. Where do you think they're going to start or end up? And do you think they're going to be starting or do you think they're going to end up in the pen? Yeah. So some of this is going to depend on how they perform in spring training, what injuries happen ahead of them. It's not just about them in a perfect world. The Padres want to develop both of these guys as starters and in order to really do that, they would need to start in the minor leagues. Morahone going to AAA would do him some good, just learning to get through five, six innings consistently every sixth day, especially against upper-level hitters, and really hone in on his command. I mean, that's the biggest thing with him. And Ryan Weathers certainly has been incredibly impressive, the jump he made from 2019 to last year. Uh, he pitched today out in Arizona and by all accounts looked really, really good. It was 94 to 97, 86, 89 slider, showed some real power stuff over his two innings. So he's taken a big jump. Again, 
there's a difference between, hey, he had a really good one or two innings in, you know, limited stints versus, okay, every fifth day taking the ball, five, six innings, getting through advanced older hitters, and really just learning the the finer points of pitching beyond just, hey, you know, good velocity, good slider. Um, so I think there's definitely a lot of thought that both these guys probably will start in the minors. Now, Morahone's probably more likely of the two to start in the majors, given you can kind of see him in that long man bulk innings role, which might be what he is at the end of the day anyway. But there has been some talk that if the Padres do decide to open with a six-man rotation, and they've had some talks about it. A lot of teams around baseball have, have had some talks about it. It's, nothing's finalized yet. But if they do that, then you look at a situation where maybe more hone or potentially even weathers, though, again, that'd be a huge jump, make the club out of spring training as starters. But I think more realistically, you're looking at Weathers starting the year in the minors, probably double A. More Hones, a little more on the cusp. Again, I think if he's a starter, it's in the minors. If he's in that bulk innings role, it's in the majors. Yeah, I, I can agree with that for sure. Um, CJ Abrams, another very exciting prospect in the Padres organization. What is kind of the, the consensus opinion about him around the league? What does his projections look like? And do you think a position switch might be in his future just because the Padres are log jammed uh, at the position that he primarily plays. Yeah. He's universally very, very highly regarded officials who saw him both at the alternate training site, only Padres officials were able to see that the Padres were one of the team that didn't, one of the teams that did not share alternate training site video with other clubs this year. But once he went up into instructional league and scouts from other teams saw him, it was universal raves. It's really, really rare to see a kid this athletic with this much polish and his hitting ability at his age. A lot of times you see the super athletic kids who their baseball skills might be a little bit behind or the guys who are super polished baseball players, but don't have the elite athleticism at this age. And he's one of the special young players who appears to have both in terms of a position switch, even when the Padres drafted him before the Fernando Tatis Jr. extension, before they traded away a lot of other shortstops in the system, they told me that they viewed him as their long-term second baseman. Now he really played an impressive shortstop at the alternate training site this year. There's no question about it. And instructional league as well, his glove, his range, his instincts, everything. He's got a very quick transfer in terms of getting the ball out of his glove, and that helps. In terms of just his arm and the way it works, he kind of pushes it from a low slot. If you see it, it's a very second base look of an arm. Um, again, the quick release and some of his natural arm strength has allowed him to make the plays at shortstop thus far. But for the most part, he's seen as a, as a future second baseman. And then depending on what happens in terms of Jake Cronenworth, if he continues to look like what he did the first month of last season, if Song Kim comes over and becomes more than just, again, people think he's already potentially going to be a really good player, but if he is even better than that, then you start looking at, okay, maybe does he go to center field, depending if Trent Grisham can maintain his defense that he showed last year. There's a lot of moving pieces. It's not just about him, but in terms of his skill set, the combination of the range, the glove, but also the arm and just the way it works 
second base has generally been seen as his future position. Again, from the day he was drafted and speaking to opposing evaluators in instructional league this year, that was the sense of where he's going to end up. Although again, he's certainly athletic enough, talented enough to stay at short. Um, it's just probability wise, second base gets the edge. Yeah. And right now there is some uncertainty about who is going to lock down that second base spot for the Padres. So, I mean, he very well could get an opportunity there in the near future. Another really exciting prospect, uh, the, the Padres eighth overall selection in the 2020 draft, Robert Hassel, the third immediately joined the extra player pool um, last year, um, which I thought was a crazy move, but I think that was just in, in an effort to continue his development. How far do you think he can jump up the rankings and where do you think he's going to start his 2021 season? Yeah, he's probably going to start 2021 in low A. Very, very talented young hitter. But again, very, very young. All he's had is is really a couple instructional league at bats and at bats at the alternate site. Realistically, low A is where he's going to start. I, I guess in theory, we've seen the Padres be aggressive with players before and you could maybe see a snare where they jump him to high A, but, but I'd be very surprised if that happens again. So if it's going to come down to injuries and who looks good once the minor leaguers report to camp and all that, but I think low A is the safe expectation there. Yeah. He's a guy that has a chance to rise pretty quickly. You know, he was the top prep hitter in his draft class and that was universal. That was the case before the season. That was the case even after his limited high school season. And he really continued to show that, yes, he is that elite level hitter in instructional league. He really impressed a lot of people out there. So when you look at other players who were the quote unquote best hitter in their respective classes as high schoolers, the guys immediately before him, it was Riley Green in his class in 2019 with the Tigers. And, you know, he got to low A in his draft year and, and theoretically, you know, could have been in double A at the end of last year. He was moving very quickly. Jared Kellenick was the best prep hitter in the 2018 class. He got up to double at the end of his first full season. So, you know, if you follow that pedigree, you can see a scenario where, man, this guy could go low A, high A to double A. But again, that would still be a very, very quick move. I think the low A, high A circuit is probably most likely, but you never know if he goes out and hits like he has. I don't want to put limits on this kid and what he can do. Yeah, switching gears to back to more of the pitching side of things, Michelle Baez came into spring training featuring a different arm angle, a little bit more like a short arm approach. What do you think about the of that development? And do you think there's still any hope that he could become a starter or is he destined for the bullpen? Yeah, we see a lot of taller, longer levered pitchers try to shorten their arm action. Lucas Giolito being the most famous and he's six, six. He's a big guy. Um, Look, Michelle Baez has had control and command issues. That's no secret. His breaking balls have stalled. They looked one way when he showed up at Fort Wayne back in, uh, that would have been 17, excuse me, 2017. And they haven't really gotten any better since. So, you know, the idea with this is let's see if we can improve those two things. Uh, he made his spring debut today. Um, just kind of checking in real quick with some people who are out there to say, you know, Slider's a little bit tighter. The command is fair, but we still saw him walk a bunch of guys and uh, not pitch particularly well. So I'll say this, the Padres have expressed hope that he can start. Me personally, I have seen him at, as a probable reliever since I saw him at Lake Elsinore in 2018. I just do not see the command and control or the breaking balls to 
get through five to six innings consistently against major league hitters. Um, I think you're best off put him in that seventh inning, roll in the bullpen, let him go blow out 94, 98 for an inning with the change up and just let him be a really good setup reliever. I think that's realistically what Michelle Baez will be in the end. Yeah. It just seems like that's his makeup and that's what he's kind of built to do. I mean, it, that, that just seems the most likely scenario. This one's coming from uh, someone on Twitter that I, uh, when I asked for questions, when I uh, told everybody that I was bringing you along, uh, this is at EHN Prodigy, and this is a great question. He said, are the Padres structured differently in their baseball operations group than other front offices? And does that give them an edge over other teams when identifying prospects? And do you think other front offices will try to copy the Padres or try to steal A.J. Preller's top lieutenants? Yeah, they're not really structured any differently. I mean, their pro scouting department, their analytics group, their amateur scouting department, their international department, it's all structured pretty standard there's nothing really different they just hired a lot of good people in terms of their abilities uh, as scouts and also just speaking with individuals within the Potters organization at all levels they talk about there's a lot of respect given to the scouts there's some organizations where scouts will say you know they write the reports they give their opinions and it seems like they're just completely dismissed or disregarded it just creates a very unhealthy, unhappy workplace uh, with a lot of distrust and feeling like, what am I doing here? And one thing that has stood out about the Padres and AJ Preller specifically, since he took over in any discussion of a trade that was made on the press conferences, he always credited the scouts on the ground who submitted the reports. A lot of GMs or higher ups will take credit for a great trade and not really acknowledge the scouts who are on the ground putting in the work. Um, and you give AJ Preller credit. He's always in a lot, a lot of ways, because he comes from that scouting background has always made sure to give credit to his guys for the good work they've done. So I think the combination of, you know, the scouts feel listened to, they're given credit when they do a good job publicly. And there's just a very cohesive working environment. It allows them to be an appealing place for a lot of the best scouts to, to go. Again, they I, I mentioned this on another podcast. They brought in a lot of guys after the 2018 season uh, or before the 2018 season and after the 2018 season. They made some changes, brought in some guys who were very highly regarded from other organizations. And that coincided with just frankly, a lot better results in their trades for players at kind of the double A levels and above. So it's just all those things really come into play there. And in terms of people being hired away, yeah, if the Padres continue to have the success they showed last year, you know, with a, another playoff appearance over a full 162 games, uh, maybe even one or two more after that, yeah, there's certainly going to be people who are coming in and looking to hire some of the guys who help make that happen. And the Padres have a lot of very, very highly regarded individuals, both at the director level and just the regular old scout level. So it uh, would not be a surprise to me to see some of those guys move on and, and get promoted uh, in other organizations. Yeah. sounds like the Padres organization is a great place to work. And I know in my experience when I'm valued and I feel like the work that I'm doing is going towards and it means something, I'm definitely going to get better results and they're going to get better results out of me. So that definitely sounds like a workplace that I would like to be a part of. So I can only imagine as a scout. Moving on to a guy who the Padres picked up in 2016 in a trade for a guy that is uh, back on their roster, Drew Pomerantz, Anderson Espinoza. 
is back on the mound after recovering from his second Tommy John surgery, and he is only 22 years old. It, that seems absolutely insane to say that out loud, but what do you think the plan is for Anderson Espinosa going forward? Do you think it's just going to be a really, really slow approach until they know for sure that he's healthy and he can go out there and perform? Yeah, they're going to build this up very, very slowly. Even after the first Tommy John surgery, the plan then was to put him on. If you'll remember what Chris Paddock's plan was back in his first year back, it was 85 pitches max, mm -hmm. um, you know, really, really limited workload with, with very strict rules. So very that tight. was... Yeah. That was the plan after the first surgery, after the second, they're probably going to be even more cautious. Um, you know, he came back last year, got back on the mound. Uh, the fastball velocity came back 94, 96 easy, which is obviously good to see, you know, he's never spun the ball particularly well. And, and that wasn't there. Uh, the changeup that was dynamic when he was acquired and, and really considered an elite, elite pitch that has not come back yet. He's still just, getting a feel for getting back on the mound, you know, just being able to let loose and, and be comfortable and kind of let it go out there. And this is going to be a very, very slow progression. This isn't a case of, Oh, he's back from Tommy John's surgery and he's blowing 97 with a, you know, with a great changeup and he's going to be in the bullpen this year. This, this is a, a multiple year buildup and it's going to take time. Yeah. And I, I think that's good for some people out there to hear that. I mean, I know, when you saw the Padres acquire this kid and, you know, he's six foot 160 within just electric stuff, you know, this is a second Tommy John surgery. So the Padres, they really, really got to take their time with this, but this is going to be my final question here for Kyle. And uh, this another fun one here. Uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. Obviously is incredible. And uh, we've uh, been able to see some just amazing things on the baseball field. And we know he's going to be a Padre for a very, very long time now, but, what would you say or what would your evaluation be of Fernando Tatis Jr.'s current present tools? Yeah, I mean, you look at the production and ultimately that's what the tools are trying to measure is what is this guy's production level going to be in the major leagues? I mean, his production to date has been a 70 hitter with borderline 80 power. Again, we're talking about less than a full season's worth of games. Um, you know, we still need to let some things play out. Ultimately, a lot of evaluators felt like the end would probably look something closer to 60 hit 70 power. But I mean, this kid's incredible. If he's able to maintain what he's doing, 70 hit 80 power, you know, it, he's, I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you he can't do it as crazy as that sounds just because he's that dang talented. Um, yeah. I mean, again, that, that has been his, his production to date. And I feel like you kind of have to give it to him at this point. So that's the hit and power. Um, the speed is a 70. You, you look at his sprint speed compared to some of the other guys in the majors. There's a couple guys who are at, you know, that 30 feet per second or above. That's more the eighties. He's more in the 70 range, but again, that's still, you know, among the elite major league baseball, <laughs> the arms an 80. I mean, you're seeing him uncork, you know, throws from you know, 91 to 95 across the diamond. I mean, that's, yeah, that's an 80 arm. Um, yeah. you know, doing it from multiple angles, you know, has, has plenty of carry on it. His accuracy has improved. I mean, you know, before you could say it was, you know, 80 strength or whatever, but, but it wasn't really an 80 arm cause it wasn't on target. Yeah. Now, you know, with the work he did with Bobby Dickerson, it's not really an issue anymore. So yeah, I think you have to give the arm an 80 now and the fielding, I think that's the grade right now. That's the most kind of in flux because yeah, I mean, what he was last year was, was easily a 70 grade defender at shortstop 
the year before that, while well, he certainly made some very, very, very impressive highlight reel plays, as a lot of people have written about, and as we saw on kind of a play to play basis, the reliability wasn't there. There just it wasn't the, the consistency. Yeah. Right. And that's that's a huge part. You can make all the flashy plays you want, but you're going to get a lot more routine plays you have to make than highlight real plays. And um, ultimately, I mean, by most measures, he was a below average defender at shortstop because for all the acrobatic plays, he just there were just too many mistakes. It, you can't have that in the major leagues at shortstop. So, you know, is he the 70 grade shortstop we saw last year? Is he the 40 to 45 grade shortstop we saw the year before? realistically, I think it's somewhere in the middle. Um, again, I think it probably ends up in the 60 range, which is still a plus defender at shortstop. But again, I don't want to put limits on this kid. We've seen how rapidly he adjusts in all aspects of his game. We saw that at Fort Wayne, even when he struck out a bunch his first month, and then each successive month after that, cut his strikeout rate, increased his walk rate. This is a very, very cerebral, instinctive player. He's physically gifted, you add effort and instincts to that, and that's when special things happen. So I, I think that right now, just based on what we saw last year, you could go 70 hit, 80 power, 70 run, 80 arm, 70 defend, which is insane. I, I think that over the course of his career, you know, maybe that's more 60 hit, 70 power, and 60 defense, but I, I'm not going to sit here and, and put a cap on him and say that he can't maintain what he's doing because he's just that dark talented well guys you heard it from kyle glazier and of course if you listen to this interview you know how incredible he is so make sure and go follow him on twitter at kyle a glazier for all of your minor league baseball system of course check out a at baseball america where he writes as well kyle thank you so much for taking the time to do this and of course i will hope to do this with you again sometime soon yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right, guys. Well, I hope you enjoyed my interview with Kyle Glazer and had some laughs and got some really good information on the, the incredible Padres farm system. And I uh, hope you ch- come back and check out another episode of the Fire Domination podcast. Uh, I don't know who I'm going to have on next, but I guarantee to keep the guests coming in. But uh, make sure and check me out on Spotify. That's where you're going to find the shows. Uh, also, I'll tweet out a link uh, every time I put a show out. But Definitely check out the Twitter page, Friar Dom Pod, and you check out me on Twitter at DrotalkSD. I'm going to be talking some Padres, talking Chargers, because I am the host of the Locked On Chargers podcast as well. But um, thanks for checking this out. I really appreciate it. And uh, until next time, go Padres.